0: You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to SecondCity.com. Second City is excited to work with Amazon as part of their new and exciting app called Amp. Amp is a home where anyone can create live radio-style shows alongside some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including ours. Join the Second City Live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time for our show, Second City Public Radio. SCPR is an interactive weekly lampoon of all things public radio. Each week, our host and an ever-expanding panel of Second City characters open up the lines to listeners from around the U.S. to ask questions and offer us opinions on a slew of wide-reaching subjects. Download the app, and don't forget to tune in. AMP Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. Oh, I think you're going to enjoy my conversation with Brian Elliott uh, who is the executive leader of Future Forum, which is a consortium backed by Slack, uh, and founding partners Boston Consulting Group, Miller Knoll, and Management Leadership for Tomorrow? Uh, he has spent three decades leading teams and building companies as a startup CEO at Google, and now at Slack, where he is a senior vice president. And he's the co author of a new book, How the Future Works Leading Flexible Teams to Do the Best Work of Their Lives. Enjoy the pod. <laughs> The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance. And the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting to yes Hand. Days can't be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss Elliot, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. In the introduction to your new book, you note that although Slack is a product that enables distributed work among distributed teams, pre-COVID, only 2% of your workforce was working remotely. And I'm curious if even for yourself, you had some hesitation on the idea that so much work could be accomplished out of the office.
1: Oh, I, I definitely did. And we definitely did. So okay. I've got you know 30 years of professional experience myself uh working in offices and the sort of default assumption, which was the office was the primary place where work gets done. I spent, you know, years both as a consultant and then, you know, startup CEO and then at Google before coming to Slack. And, you know, there's just so many times when um, you know, thinking back, you would get into, you know, get into the car or get on a bus uh, to be in the room where it happens. Right. Uh, because that sort of pressure around, uh, the assumption that, uh, you kind of need to be there, uh, was a pretty big deal. Uh, and so for all of us, I think it's been a major shift in, in sort of blowing a lot of pieces of conventional wisdom out the door.
0: So I'm curious. So in our case, of course, it's a live theater. You can't do that, uh, uh, virtual, but in, especially in our corporate division, uh, we pivoted right away and we were doing virtual workshops and keynotes. And so like, I was as busy as ever. And prior to this, I would never have said that you could do it. So I got converted pretty quickly. Was that the same thing that happened with you?
1: It was. So it was actually interesting because so we've been having this conversation. I was part of the product and engineering leadership team uh, prior to the pandemic. We've been having this conversation pretty heavily for like the year or two prior to the pandemic about what could be done with a remote team. You know, if we, if we just spun up a remote team, what would that look like? And there were There were pros and cons to it, and we basically waffled around it a lot, ended up not doing it because there were a lot of fears, not only around productivity, but around creativity and innovation and sense of belonging among people. And so what happened was when the, when the shift came, which, you know, we weren't sure we would make it effectively either. Um, we all sort of started looking at, you know, both the data, talking to people, conducting surveys. There were a lot of people who are personally very challenged, right? Think about all the folks that had small kids at home that were dealing with, um, uh, sickness, with, with ill relatives, with, you know, horrible, uh, issues in some cases. But at the same time, we're watching, you know, um, productivity didn't really take a hit as, as some people feared. We weren't too worried about that. Where it got really interesting is when we started digging in on things like the quarterly planning cycle that no one had ever done in distributed fashion before. And we had to reinvent a lot of things around that process, the tools that we used, how you touched base on it, how you hosted the discussions. But we found ways to make it uh, actually just as effective, and in some cases, even even better, because you could be more inclusive of, of more people. Um, the concept of, you know, everybody needs the whiteboard from a brainstorming perspective, perspective which still persists to this day, there are lots of ways to think about creativity and innovation, and how you give people the time and space uh, to, you know, think on their own about whatever the prompt is. Concept called brainwriting. Uh, get them, you know, sort of developing the, the idea on their own, and then bring it together as a group. Uh, and the benefit that you then get is uh, if you then throw all those ideas into a pile, literally into a document or whatever else together at the same time. You're not going to have that sort of group think filter that happens, you know, when someone is physically standing in front of a whiteboard. Uh, and so there's just really interesting stuff that's come out of this that we've seen both in our research and in practice at Slack.
0: And one of the core elements you talk about, and I want to stop for a second and say you, you don't use words like remote work. You talk about flexible work. And I, I think you do that very purposely because you say the first thing to understand is that it isn't just about where people work. It's about when people work. That's That's not something a lot of people talk about.
1: That's right. There's so much of the conversation that revolves around how many days a week will somebody be allowed to work from home, which is sort of the tip of the iceberg. Um, And when we, when we've pulled people and looked at it, so we do future forum pulse is a survey instrument that we've been running for two years now. It's, it's a bit over 10,000 office workers, knowledge workers around the globe that we, that we pull. And Uh, location flexibility is important to people. They want to come together. Most people want some form of hybrid. They want some episodic getting together mostly for relationship building. But Schedule flexibility is even more important. Um, when we poll people, 94% of people want some form of schedule flexibility and 79% want location flexibility. But that schedule mm-hmm. flexibility, when you think about it, is really breaking with another habit of you know nine to five, five days a week in the office is where work gets done. And schedule flexibility is a couple of things. It's not jamming days nine to five full of meetings, which unfortunately right. has been happening during the pandemic. Um, because when that happens, you're basically saying, um, great, I will get my real work done, you know, at night after the kids are in bed or after dinner. Um, the The other challenge is exactly the issue of, you know, there are different groups that need flexibility in different ways. And in particular, schedule flexibility is really important to um, to caregivers. Yeah. Uh, and in the U.S., uh, more often than not, it's, it's even more important to uh, women with children than men with children uh, to give them, you know, ways in which with, with your team, you can figure out some constraint around uh, time together every day, but also uh, time to do independent work or to do that when it's effective for you or when you're not uh, bearing other responsibilities
0: we got a phrase in improvisation you should see all obstacles as gifts so the gift here is not just the caregiver now but it's the caregiver of the next 5 10 15 years because i mean we're screwed in many ways in terms of what we're looking at right uh, but if you're if we yeah. have these if we have these ways of working and, which are truly more inclusive which is which is i think again not something anyone would have expected to come out of this when you're talking about distributed work or that that, that but but indeed One of the things that we discovered um, when we turned our training center virtual was suddenly people who had, you know, X disability that didn't allow them to come to the building could take workshops. And then we had people from New Zealand improvising with people from Canada, you know, and it was remarkable coming together. And that, and that, that, that is truly a gift.
1: Those are fantastic examples. I love that. It it's um, we've all had to do things that we didn't think were uh, possible Uh, that we hadn't designed to be done in this way uh, prior to the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, you know, there were a lot of things, both from an events perspective, like you said, that that got at uh, engagement to people with different, you know, abilities and capabilities. We've seen it in our research pretty consistently that um, flexibility has greater benefits, not only to caregivers, but we've looked at the data across race and ethnicity also. There are real benefits. This is one of the things that surprised us the most. Um, early on in the pandemic, uh, when we all shifted to, you know, working from home, uh sense of belonging with your team fell on average, but where it really fell was with um, white office workers. It actually rose with black office workers in the U.S. Interesting. And we, we um, you know, uh, uh, for those of us that don't have the personal experience, it was one of those questions, like, why is this happening? We got a group of academics together, uh, Brian Lowry, who's a professor at Stanford, um, uh, was the first one to say, look, I feel this myself personally as a black professor, even on Stanford's campus, five days a week, nine to five is exhausting. I am code switching all the time. I am, wow. I need to be on all the time. If you give me the opportunity to work from home, even a few days a week to dial in and dial out of meetings, as an example, I get an opportunity to recharge my batteries. And, and so it's not that, um, that that fixes diversity and inclusion issues right. at all, but it can help make them better. And, and it's it's a it's certainly a, a, one of those things that I don't think we expected to see coming out of this. But but it's really an opportunity. That this concept of flexibility and schedules flexibility and location is an opportunity to reset um, inclusion uh, at work.
0: That's amazing. Uh, we had on the podcast uh, uh, Ranjay Gulati, who's a Harvard pr- uh, professor um, who wrote a book called deep purpose. Um, and really, and he he even said 10 years ago, he would never be the guy writing the purpose book, but in his research and looking at data, it became so important to business success to tie to purpose. That's all over this book. You, you are also, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. So talk about how like even looms larger when you're talking about this sort of digital first, uh, uh, idea.
1: So we've, we've, and in the book, how the future works, we actually profile a number of companies besides Slack, like Royal bank of Canada, IBM and Levi's in, in some of the first couple of chapters where we talk about purpose and principles, mm-hmm. because we we've seen, we've talked with a lot of companies. So we've, we've engaged with hundreds of executives and in, 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 over the past couple of years on this companies that are simply putting forth policies, you know, a policy that says X days a week is when you need to be in the office. Um. Without any real purpose behind it, uh, you get a lot of resistance from employees, number one. Number two, people want to know why. They want to know why they're coming together, what the purpose is behind it, and they want to know the principles around it. So one of the principles that we've seen in a lot of ways is purpose for getting together may be something like, while we value flexibility, uh, we want people to come together to build relationships. So we're going to host gatherings uh, on an episodic basis, at least, for people to get to know one another to build up weak ties, for example. It may be also things like we want to make sure that we're doing our quarterly planning cycles and some of our creative work together in a room where we have shared space. But then you also get into the principles and the principles are really, uh, sorry, principles and and guardrails, which get really important around things like if we understand that flexibility is a potential boost to inclusion, one of the principles that we used at Slack and we've seen others adopt as well is that we want to ensure a level playing field. Mm -hmm. Um, And, if you're, if you're thinking about it from that perspective and your executive team thinks that diversity and inclusion is important, then that principle can help guide people in a bunch of different directions. A level playing field can be things like, how do I make sure that those that are dialing in for a meeting have airtime uh, and can get in, right? It can be as simple as that. We've also seen, we've done this at Slack. We've seen World um, Bank of Canada and others do this too. Executives leading by example. Uh, right. So one of our guardrails is is executives will lead by example. If you say that your employees can be flexible in where and when they work, then your employees can't, your, your executives, sorry, can't all be showing up five days a week, yeah, uh, nine to five in the corner office. Yeah. It, it just, it leads to all these issues of uh, proximity bias and just um, can be really potentially problematic in terms of what employees are being told versus what they're observing.
0: Uh, you also write about uh, uh, leadership needing uh, leading by showing vulnerability, and and a perfect example of this. Uh, so my son and I have this thing where we're ranking the top Italian beefs in Chicago. We've been doing it for like 60 years. So, Portillo's. And uh, the top one is Johnny's in Elmhurst. Uh, okay. Uh, so good. What's your okay. favorite? Uh, Portillo's. Oh man, you got to you got to come back here. I'm going to show you <laughs> a promised land of Italian beefs that. I, I like a Porto, uh. but doesn't even touch the top 10.
1: Oh, right. Close. Wow! Wow! Yeah. I, this is It's been twenty years since I lived in Chicago, right. so I'm, I'm
0: uh, here's the great thing about it. like it takes you to the like these far like I was in Cicero, so we were we were oh, driving fantastic. this on Saturday uh, to Cicero, and Nick wants to be an actor, um, you know, and he he graduated as so he says Zoom Laude. so you know he's just <laughs> there's not that much acting uh, gigs, so he he became this tech recruiter, and he actually has got promoted and he does really well, but he's telling me. He he was he was talking to his therapist and sort of saying I get I'm getting really frustrated because I'm having a tough quarter and I'm worried that I'm taking too much time off and I'm worried that I'm not meeting expectations and her advice was you look li- you really like your boss right and, yep just ask him yes. so he set up a call with John, Johnny and he basically both things and not only Johnny you're like no you need to take more time off uh, yeah. and B you were exceeding expectations before you're exceeding expectations now then he shared the story that when he was um, basically nick's uh, level of experience at the company he and the the guy who's the top sales guy now were both on the watch list to be fired they've been <laughs> Fantastic, and and Nick was like, you have to share that story like with other people that would and and I said I was reading this book and that's exactly what they talk about and I I was like yeah. what a gift for for him to share that story because it just unburdened my son with, with yeah. his work experience
1: we, we we had we had that experience early on in the pandemic where I think it was probably our first or second um, all hands meeting and so the all hands meetings prior to this were these sort of Heavily produced one hour long on a stage where if you're in the room, you had some advantages. Other people could dial in and watch it. Um, you know, uh, very, you know, in-depth productions. I think it was the first one because it was all of, I think 15 or 20 minutes intentionally. And it was, kind of the, I think it was the six most senior people in the company that were each supposed to do a, like a one, two, three, like, what are your top, given everything that's going on, what are the most important things uh, in your area that you're worried about or concerned about? And when it got to Julie Legal, who was our chief uh, marketing officer, her daughters dive bombed her in, at her desk uh, in her room. <laughs> and it may have been planned, um, but it was the the outpouring of love and emotion, especially yeah. from the other um, moms uh, at work, was through the roof, sure. and it was just this moment of we're all in this together. We're all dealing with kind of you know a level of insanity that we weren't expecting, uh, and and I think it's it's made a lot of executives um, walk a little bit in the shoes of more of their employees, which mm-hmm. I, I hope more of them continue to do. Um, it's made them more available, uh, and approachable. And, and I think, you know, some of that comes from, uh, you know, the, the pandemic and what happens there. Some of it comes from this sort of shift to, to digital as well. Because again, if you were spending, you know, all of your days on the C-suite floor of, uh, of a corporate headquarters in the building, um, the, the odds that somebody ran into you and got to uh, interact with you is pretty low, versus the more you're doing your Ask Me Anythings, right? The more that you're um, doing these things on video, and a lot of companies have done them more frequently, the more people actually get to know what's on your mind um, and, uh, and feel like they can trust you.
0: We talked a bunch about this in the podcast because we have a collaboration we did at the University of Chicago called the Second Science Project, which looked at behavioral science through the lens of improvisation. And, and one of the um, uh, scientists who work with, Nick Epley, has all this research on uh, people being reluctant to share specifics with them with, with others when yeah. those are the things where we find our connection. So in these virtual formats, like bring me your dogs, bring me your cats, what what is the yeah. what were you reading? What's behind you on the bookshelf? Like all of that stuff, I think yeah. has that that other quality of like letting us in and it's not to say that like in-person isn't important it's crucially important It just doesn't have to be everything um and That's to funny. that point oh I was, this is what i was gonna ask so I, i've been doing a thing lately in my keynotes where i ask people how many people like raise your hand either virtually or if i'm in a room if you if you've um uh ever worked in a place that you would qualify as functional rather than dysfunctional and no one <laughs> raises their hand. no one the, other, the thing I think I could add to it is who enjoys meetings. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Who's going
0: to raise their hand on that?
1: Absolutely not.
0: All right, the, so you the, guys aren't fans.
1: We, we are not fans. It is interesting, though, because there's a balance that we all have to strike. One of the things that's that's really been a huge challenge is this um, middle managers are the ones that have had the hardest time. You know, the frontline manager, who's especially a new manager over the course of the past couple of years, Who's probably not very well trained, who probably doesn't have the tools and the support, net, mm-hmm. let alone the network, um, is all of a sudden facing you know do it all, do it remotely when your company's not used to that. Number one, and number two, just the number of you know personal issues that come up. Yeah, the the, the challenge has been a lot of them. The first thing they did was add more status meetings, uh, you know, onto the calendar to check and see how everything's going on each and every project, and that just increases the burnout, right? Which is which is not good. On the other hand, we've we've done a lot of work with people that, um, that really think about how am I going to build connection among a distributed team? And, you know, one of the things that surprises people in the research is, you know, know, two years ago, sense of belonging dipped, right? Uh Over the course of the past two years, we've seen this steady rise among people who are in hybrid teams or in flexible teams where uh, by the fourth quarter of this last year, um, sense of belonging among those people was actually higher than the people that were five days a week at the office, mm. and and some of that is you know, people learning other ways to do it. Some of it is uh, habits and practices. Like my team, we do a Monday morning meeting that's that's you know on Zoom, and the first. 10 to 15 minutes is woefully unproductive and wonderful. Yeah. It is, you know, it's it, we typically kick off with some form of how you doing, but also an ice, an intentional icebreaker, like a question to get to know each other a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about norms. We talk about our team norms. We pick out one on a weekly basis that we dig into and say, is this thing that we said we agreed we were going to do? We agreed as a team that we would limit our... One on ones and team meetings to being between nine a.m. and one p.m. Pacific times that the East Coast team didn't feel, you know, dragged into the evening. Are we doing it? How are we doing on that? And those conversations are hugely valuable. And it's not the kind of thing, you know, you, you, that's where a meeting becomes valuable. You're you're spending time together, getting to know one another, wrestling through sort of gnarly issues of team norms. That's 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 worth it.
0: So I'm curious. This is great. You're talking about norms. Does it ever dawn on you that you're doing that at a time where we have no norms, <laughs> right? There's never been less norms than right now. It's, this it's never,
1: and that's where I think, so the the thing that we do in the book and talk about a lot, we pull some examples from other companies as well as team level agreements. Yeah. Uh, because like a lot of people um, think the policy is a substitute, right? And the and and you also hear all the challenges that are real that people have around too many meetings or my notifications go off all day and all night and you know the technology makes makes me crazy the issue isn't the technology the t- the issue is the leadership uh, and I, I own this one myself uh, it, these you know team level agreements laying out you now how frequently do we get together is one of the questions and why do we get together mm-hmm. and having that as a conversation is really important but also things like, how do, we, how do we put some boundaries around the hours? right? What, you know, what, what types of issues on this team get escalated off hours? And if we're going to have an issue off hours, how will you be notified about it? If, I, if you can just solve those two issues as a team norm, then you go a long way to people being able to put the machine down, not pay attention to the phone, turn off notifications at night. My team's pretty easy. There aren't that many escalations. But if there are, I will text you on your phone Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, there's a thing that's blown up for on tomorrow's schedule. Just wanted to make sure you're aware of it. Um, That way people aren't worrying about, is it a Slack notification or an email or a pager duty or, you know, what is it that I'm looking for? And those, those kinds of norms sound really basic, but it's a, it's the right starting point. Cause then if you start on the basics of like, what's our schedule look like, what tools do we use? What boundaries do we put in place? After that, you can get into the fun stuff. Like, how do we have disagreements? How do we rumble uh, as a team? How do we support one another without getting, you know, how do we let you be your true self at work without it becoming, you know, too much like a family, which at the end of the day, it's not. So you got to start with the basics and build your way up. And I I think that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we've seen really help teams operate um, much better together.
0: So how do we get the U.S. government to take a co-led workshop between Second
1: City and Slack for them to figure out the <laughs> that. As, as an, or, as a, the, the um I will say the public sector side, the public servant side, actually is engaging on this stuff in pretty interesting ways. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, Office of Personal Management, there are some leaders in that that are actually thinking about a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. The political side, oh my, um, <laughs> I wouldn't know, I know where to begin or how to make it happen it's uh i'll i'll join you in that adventure if you if you can help if line can, it up it let's happen, go let's I go do I it
0: like they they never even i don't even know that they'd consider the idea of yes and i think that that is like is,
1: I, I, yeah exactly that, i think that's that would that be problem. a royal challenge
0: so you talk about apple announcing a return to office in june of 2021 for monday, tuesdays and thursdays google also announced a return of 3 days a week amazon i think as well did, did that stay is that is that all happening
1: so there's there's a, so a lot of companies have announced a lot of things that have changed and morphed over time. I don't know each of the specifics on all of them. Yeah. Amazon, for example, initially said it was going to be in one specific way for the entire organization. They actually changed their mind about six months ago. And Andy Jassy, who's the CEO, said, you know, we're going to let teams figure this out because different teams are going to have different needs. And that's what we're seeing more broadly. There, if, if you come out with the, you know, there's three days a week that you need to be in the office and it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday or something like that. That's going to be exactly wrong for a lot of people because different teams have different rhythms. So what we have spent a lot of time doing is figuring out at a a business unit or a functional level, even what makes sense for you. So Slack and Salesforce do this in a similar way. A lot of our sales teams, for example, um, normalize on something as simple as, hey, for this team, Wednesdays are going to be the day. And the reason why that's important is no one wants to come into the office just to sit in a room and do video calls all day long. Yeah. But if you know that, you know, hey, there's there's 10 of us. And if you're going to come in, you know, Wednesday's a good day to come in, then at least you, you'll know you'll be have uh, some lunch partners. Um, engineering teams were seeing, thinking instead about like, what's the week of the month? So what's that sort of three to four day span that I want us to be together where we're going to do some planning. Where we're going to have some meals together where mm-hmm. we're going to um, take on some richer activity because that works with the cycle of their business. In the book, we also talk about Genentech that's done this across like their R&D organization is different from their finance team, is different from their manufacturing organization, and their flexible team agreements had to make sense for those business units in ways that like if you said across all 16,000 employees, here's the way it works, everybody would have looked at you and said, that doesn't make sense. And, And I think the companies that are saying we are and you know, tens of thousands of people, everybody do it the same way, kind of misses the the, the broader issue that those are not uh, all the same uh, need. Uh,
0: uh, our friend Dolly Chug when 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 all this happened, I was just like, call reaching out to the smartest people I know, like, what what are you thinking? What what should I be thinking about? Uh, and where where are people going to go? And when are they going to come back? And Dolly gave me this great uh, framework to think of. It's called the sixty the twenty sixty twenty rule. And she said, 20% of the people are never coming back. 20% of the people are coming back. And the 60% in the middle, they're going to go with what they see. Um, and, and you talk in the uh, uh, Genentech uh, story about, because it didn't work at first. That's and right. you say that the culprit was what one leader described as the frozen middle. And mm. I feel like that's the 60% who couldn't see what was happening.
1: Yeah. And, and I think what's happened, you know, a lot of that with Genentech was prior to the pandemic, and they had they had been embarking on this early. They were one of the first people to be pushing on this concept of flexible team agreements. And what where they got was they got pretty deep with sort of that twenty percent that were the sort of innovators and the people that wanted to try something different and something new. And the frozen middle was really around because I don't I've never seen it with my own eyes. Yeah. I'm not sure that I can believe that it's true and that's what the last two years has really done it's been sort of this accelerant around plasticity right around people's mm-hmm. understanding and expectations of of what's possible and so suddenly you've got you know pretty much everybody who's worked in an office now understands the trade-offs and that they can be you know productive when working from home and and i think a lot of executives have seen the same that's the great part about the genentech story is you know senior uh and uh scientist leader who said I have now seen it and went from being a, a skeptic to a to a true believer convert? Let's charge the hill. Um, we had some similar experiences at Slack too. Uh, you know, with folks that sat there and said, "Look, what this opens up really interestingly from a business perspective is." It's hard to recruit engineers into the city of San Francisco. It's really hard to recruit a diverse group of engineers into the city of San Francisco. If instead I can hire people that don't want to move from the Southeast of the United States, from the Intermountain West, from other areas, I can I can actually improve the diversity of my team as well as making it easier on me to recruit people in. And so I think, you know, a lot of Uh, executives, it's, you know, there's still a lot of good commercial reasons to do this stuff. It's around the fact that you've got a much broader, more diverse uh, talent pool. And if you're focused on, can they deliver outcomes as opposed to how often they show up, you're focused on the right thing too.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, So we've had Amy Edmondson on the podcast and you talk about Mm -hmm. the need for psychological safety. I was fascinated. We just had Todd Cashton on uh, the podcast and he wrote a book called the art of insubordination. And he cited some follow-up research that I was not aware of, which said that it's not just that people feel um, psychologically safe that, that uh, predicts uh, group success. It's that you also uh, have support for dissenting voices. I think that's right. Right. And, and that, that totally that speaks sense. to stuff that you talk about in this book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, 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 um... We did some research and, and by the way this benefited from some of amy's work and also heidi gardner um, so we did some work on uh, creativity assessment of creativity uh, both individual and group creativity in 2021 and what came back out of it was you know we, we cut the data across uh, work location you know you're co-located you're all distributed um you're in uh, part-time zero correlation uh, based on location uh, the things that drove it the most were, um, do I feel like my team can take risks? Uh, yep. and do I feel safe asking for help? Um, uh, and, and that gets into like these issues of the dissenting voice, the, the one person who otherwise in a, in a, group context with somebody you know like me staff on the whiteboard might just sit on their hands because they're too junior they are not from the majority group uh, they come from a different you know industry or background those are the people you want to hear and in fact what's interesting is companies will bring in outside experts Mm-hmm. You know, to try to shake things up, to try to get some yeah. new ideas. and often those voices are somewhere inside your company. Yeah. You're just not yeah, listening to them. That's right. And, and and you may not be listening to them because you're not giving them the opportunity to to say what 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 they have heard, what they know, what they believe. Uh, and those you know those opportunities are are really important to to tap into
0: all right. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you for a yes and story, but before we do that, um, you cite in the book, uh, you're head of people at Slack since 2015, Don sheriff and head, I believe is her name.
1: Uh, Don sheriff and Sherefin. yeah.
0: Yeah. And there was three things that she, uh, noted, uh, quote, self-awareness is the key to everything quote, have courage and be kind and clarity is kindness. Yes. I, yes. I was intrigued that the word kind is in there twice.
1: So, um, I'll, I'll stick with the clarity is kindness one, which Don is wonderful. She's, she has really developed a lot of our content, uh, on coaches, uh, sorry, managers as coaches. What's it mean to have a manager who's a coach and the clarity is kindness, uh, is actually Dawn herself. I think attributes it to Brene Brown, um. You, by being nice to someone and not telling them the underlying sets of issues, the performance challenges that you're seeing, the way that they're interacting with other people, you're actually not being kind to them. You're being nice. Right. And clarity is kindness because the feedback is actually what helps people develop. Now you want to make sure that you're, you're delivering it in, in a way that is timely, uh, actionable, accurate, and you need to make sure that you're supporting them in doing it. That clarity is such an important aspect of um, of how people develop that not to do it is doing a disservice to your team.
0: That sounds a lot like radical candor
1: it's It's pretty close, and I think yeah. if you you know even Kim Scott when she's described it said. She the only thing she wishes is that more people picked up on the candor part and less yes. on the radical part, right? Mm-hmm. That Kim is absolutely right in 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 that. And I think the problem is people used it as an excuse to go overboard in terms of I'm just going to be radically you know obnoxious, yeah. obnoxious you. aggression,
0: yeah. Which is like, that's on the grid as the one you don't want to be, but you didn't like
1: read the no, you didn't read the book exactly. Yeah. You you read the title and you decided you're going to be radically candorous and and yeah. uh, and not actually read it. So that's why clarity is kindness to me is a is a more apt way to put it that doesn't create the same level of um, obnoxious behavior. I love it. Do you have
0: a yes, and story for us?
1: I do. So um, boy, coming out of uh, Northwestern as an undergrad, uh, I went into consulting and there was this early phrase I got told, which was seldom wrong, never in doubt. And to some degree, you know, as a, as a young punk consultant, Uh, you know, being thrust into these situations, you kind of developed, well, I did develop not only a little bit, but a a fair sense of arrogance. And you did a lot of intellectual jousting, right? Because that was sort of what paid the bills. And um, I went to my first startup um, and, oh boy, did I get smacked around. Um, uh, Mariah DeLeon, who was my um, HR partner there, and um, I later ended up running the company. So I guess it worked out. Um, sat me down one day and said, you're kind of a jerk and you have to think about how you respond, uh, to some of these issues instead of just jousting with people. And so the, the, head of engineering at one point said, and, and I were having this debate and, and he was, I was saying, you know, we really need to get, you, you need to get a project manager. And, uh, he goes, no, you need to get a project manager. And she looks at me and I'm like, and I went, yes, and. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I will hire a project manager. They will work with you to make sure that they understand what's going on. And I, I knew in that moment that she, you know, that the signal from her in her eyeballs was like, this is your opportunity to turn it around, to stop jousting with this person. Yeah. It's a little like the star Wars, let the Wookiee win. Right. Um, you know, you, you've, you've, you've got to find a way to build on what people are saying as opposed to taking them on. And, Things got much easier uh, from from there on. So if I'd only done more improv, I would have been in better shape. Uh,
0: from yeah, the well, so, I mean, seeding the need to be right is is not easy, especially when you're a smart person uh, or even a successful person. But then, Abso- it, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bring others in, and we don't do this alone. We do this with other people, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Learning mindset is just a hard thing to adapt also and and a hard thing to learn. Um, uh, it's, It's come to me through years of support from people like Mariah and maybe a little bit of therapy. Yeah, exactly. The
0: book is called How the Future Works, Leading Flexible Teams to Do the Best Work of Their Lives. Brian Elliott, thanks for coming on the show. Kelly, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. The Getting the Yes And podcast is produced by The Second City and WGN Radio. We are supported at The Second City by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. Our show is produced by Andrew Harris at WGN. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast is by Jukebox The Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more about The Second City, you can log on to secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com.